Amen. You all in? That guy was. And uh, laid his life down for it. We're called to be a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ, um, that we lay our lives on the altar 24-7. And you know, some of us would think, well, you know, we're not in that situation where someone would kill us because of our faith. But the question for us is, are we willing to live? Live out our faith. And uh, we can debate about which one's more difficult but that's the thing that's before us. And so we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord willing, 24-7, every day of the week, uh, not just when we come together together, but an overflow of what he's done for us and his sacrifice for us. He was obviously committed to us, um, that we would be dedicated to him and be committed to him. And so that guy, obviously, that we were talking about in that story in India, um, decided to put a stake in the ground. So he was following Jesus Christ. And uh, hopefully, Lord willing, that's true for you as well. If it's not, then uh, maybe through even his example or the things that we'll talk today that you'll come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's great to gather together uh, to be able to have the opportunity, the freedoms to do these things in our country, to be able to celebrate. Last week we had a special, unique worship experience as a church. We had our first ever outdoor service. If you weren't able to be there, um, we'll do it again, I believe, sometime. Somebody came up to me and said, oh, we should do that every week. I said, nope, but it was great to do that time. Uh, lots of pieces to put together and volunteers involved in all of that. Um, and it was our first ever, our, worship, our um, um, youth pastor, Reminded me on Monday, that's the first time we've ever as a church done baptisms during a service together. And so that was exciting. We had about 18 people that were baptized last week. And some of you may have seen some of them. You came up to the front or whatever. If you identified with somebody, like you saw them up there and thought, I can identify with that person or something about them um, you kind of connected with. If you see them today, you kind of pat them on the back, congratulate them about their story. Uh, maybe invite them to your e-group if you're part of a group. I know the majority of our members are in, in groups. So you invite them in, into that, get other believers around them and help them. Uh, continue to stay focused on the cross and focused on what it is that they said they were doing. They're saying they're putting their stake in the ground. They want the world to know that they're following Jesus, and now they're going to live by faith. And so the world behind them, the cross before them, keep them focused on the cross. And I just ask you as we um, jump into the message today, what's before you? What's your main thing in your life? It's a, a good thing to contemplate. What is our main thing? So as you think about all different contexts and all different situations in the world and the universe, there's always a main thing. If you go to a small town, there's a main street. In fact, if you go to that small town, it's important to know what the main street is because most people will reference the main street for everything else that happens. Everything flows through the main street. Uh, if you go to uh, an entertainment venue, whether it's a concert, whether it's a comedian that's doing something, there's a main event. There's something that drew you there. There may be other things. If you go to a football game, they'll do little shows on the side, and they'll have dogs running through midfield, but you're there to see the game. If you go to see U2 and they have an opening concert, there's a main event. There's a main thing. When you have a meal, there's a main course. There's other things that are there. There are side items. Those are enjoyable, all that stuff, but there's a, a main course. Yesterday was my birthday. So those of you who said happy birthday to me, thank you so much. Yes. The rest of you, I hope you feel incredibly guilty and remember for next year. Just kidding. Thank you, Facebook, uh, for reminding me, is what I usually say with friends' birthdays. Uh, but yesterday, uh, I was thinking through just the idea of when you're a kid, the main part of a birthday is presents. So at least it was for me. I was incredibly materialistic as a little kid. I'm so sorry. Uh, but then uh, what ended up happening is, you know, relationships are really important, but when you talk about a birthday, the main course isn't the food you ate that day. It's not like burgers or hot dogs or fried chicken or escargot, whatever it is you eat for that stuff, ribs at our house is what we eat. The main course for birthday is cake. Like, that's symbolic of birthday. If I put up a picture of a cake with a candle on it and I asked everybody in America, what do you think this is? It's a birthday cake. Like, that's the main thing. That's the main part. You can't mess up the cake on a birthday. You mess up the birthday. And so we had great cake yesterday for my birthday. I hope on your birthday you get to have uh, a great cake. That's the main thing, the main event, the main course. If you think about our solar system, if you want to go scientific on this, the main part of our solar system, there was a time when people thought it was Earth. 
believe that or not, uh, that everyone thought everything revolved around us. <laughs> Who could imagine? Uh, but there was a time where we all believed that the earth was the central part uh, of the solar system. And Copernicus comes along and teaches us it's actually the sun. You know, the sun is such the main thing. It's actually the gravitational pull of the sun that holds the earth in orbit. So if you remove the sun, the earth just, we just go floating off into space. It's the main thing. And so I'm asking you today, what is the main thing in your life? And you think about it. What is your main thing? Everything else flows through that, like Main Street. Everything else kind of revolves around that, maybe like the sun. And that's the central part. If you boil it all down, that's what you're here for. That's the main thing. Your thoughts are consumed by it, probably your time, your money, like all that stuff is focused on that. What is your main thing? It might be a relationship with a person. It might be a job. It might be what other people think of you. It could be lots of things. It could be money. It could be some experience that you're desiring to have. It could be your relationship with God. But let me challenge you. I'm not going to have you turn in your answer, okay? So don't answer the way you think you should answer. For your benefit, as we go through this message, I want you to answer what's true for you. What is your main thing? And today we're going to be talking about messing with the main thing. In Acts chapter 15, if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab it. And we're going to turn there in just a moment. Verses will be on the screen. But Acts chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. What's happening here is that you might even see in a title on your, your Bible, it might say the Council of Jerusalem. It's a church council. There's actually a scandal that's taking place, a controversy over the main thing. Somebody's messing with the main thing, and so they have to meet together as a church to decide, what are we going to do about this? And if you go through church history, you'll see there are seven major councils that have taken place that historians will point to, and they talk about always things that are essential, not just for a specific denomination, not just for a specific church, but for all of Christianity. Like, if you're a Christian, you believe this, and they talk about things like the Trinity, who was Jesus? What did it mean that he came in the flesh? It talks about topics like this. This is the first ever church council. Uh, when before, this is the beginning of the church. You know, the gospel spreading around. We've had our first missionary journey. And now listen to how essential this, this thing is that they're discussing. Salvation. What must I do to be saved is the question that's being answered. What do I have to do to be in the kingdom? What do I have to do to be right with God? And Paul and Barnabas have been preaching about this, and they've been going, like we talked about last week, preaching the good news. Good news should be shared. And they've been sharing the good news with different folks, and people have been responding. Both Jews and Gentiles have been responding. People have been coming into the kingdom. God's been giving them their spirit, his spirit. By grace, he's been saving them through faith. And he's sharing this with their, their home church, the church in Antioch, the church that sent them out. And then some guys show up, and they start messing with the main thing. It causes a lot of problems. Look at it. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Oh, wait, so these are Christians. These are brothers. They're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. It is not possible for you to be a Christian, they're saying, unless you're circumcised and obey the law of Moses. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem. So they're going to go back to the first church. And they're going to see the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. So they're telling stories about how people are being saved by grace, through faith. That alone is transforming their lives. And it says, this news made all the brothers very glad. Somebody who's hearing this is excited about this. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church, the church as a whole, the whole body, probably in a public assembly, and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then, some of the believers, key that they're believers, 
who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised. This is necessary. They must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Apparently behind closed doors, not in front of the whole assembly, but they talked about this. Verse 7 says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. He purified their hearts by circumcision. Purified their hearts by keeping the law. He purified their hearts because they wore the right clothes to church. Purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we, you can't handle it, nor our fathers, no one's been able to handle it, have been able to bear. No. We didn't have to wait for the Reformation for this declaration of faith. Peter says it here, first century. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Interesting, humble statement by Peter, by the way. Not that they are saved just like us. We are saved just like them. And we don't impose our stuff upon them. And see, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching. They've been sharing the good news just like good news should be shared. We should tell it. If it's transformed our lives, it's the most important thing to us. It's natural. It would overflow, and we would talk about it. And so they're doing that, and they come back. It's been changing people's lives. And they're giving a report of this. And in the midst of the report, and talking about how people are being saved by grace, through faith, it's nothing else, and that God's transforming lives, changing communities, saving villages. Some other guys show up, and they start messing with the main thing. And when you mess with the main thing, you can mess up everything. And that's crucial to understand. That's our big idea. If you mess with the main thing, you mess up everything. When you start messing with that thing, and you think about whatever, this is true in almost every situation, a principle, if you, whatever your main thing is, even if it's not what it should be, you mess with that, it messes up everything else in your life. Think about it like this. How many of you in here drive uh, an automobile? You drive a vehicle. So raise your hand. All right. Some of you are lying. You just don't want to raise your hand up. You've got a thing against putting your hand up in church. I assume that most of you, if you're old enough, you drive an automobile. Now, here's a question you don't have to answer for me, but I want you to think well. How many things do you do when you're driving an automobile? <laughs> that wasn't a joke. People are laughing. How many different things do you do when you're driving a car? I told my wife this morning, she had some eggs out for me before I was leaving to come to church, and a lot of times I'll grab something like that and I'll take it with me in the car. I'll eat in the car. But I said, oh, I'm going to share this analogy. Can't do that today. I don't want to be that hypocritical. So I said, I eat my eggs, then I leave the house. It you know, cost me an extra like 30 seconds. So I, 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 but do you ever eat in the car? You ever, you ever sing in the car? You ever sing in, you ever get caught singing in the car? <laughs> you know, you'd be driving on the road. Somebody pulls up. Let them cruise by. You're back into it. You don't want anybody to see you. You're doing other stuff. You talk to friends on your phone. You talk to friends that are in the car. You do different things. You ever read in the car? I've read in the car. I'm just going to confess. I'll tell you, I didn't read at all. I remember in seminary, I drove about 30 to 60 minutes, depending on traffic, in Dallas in the Metroplex, and had to learn lots of different stuff that was new to me. And so I remember taking Greek flashcards, flipping them over while I'm driving down the road, trying to memorize vocabulary words. And then once or twice, the, time, the amount of times isn't really relevant, okay? But I remember a couple times taking like a whole book and sticking it on the steering wheel as I drove. So I'm like holding the book, driving the car, Read a little bit, turn a page. Yeah, I'm, still, I'm still alive, you know. Can I read the thing? Now let me ask you this question. What's the main thing you're supposed to do when you drive a car? Oh, drive, okay. I, I saw a study this week, statistic, that said that if you drink and drive alcohol, 
you're seven times more likely to have an accident. If you're distracted while you drive, you're 23 times more likely to have an accident. They didn't even talk about like text messaging. Have you seen those commercials for text messaging? They're out in the text, not don't text and drive. I saw one last night before I was getting ready to go to bed. It was a young man who was sitting in a room all by himself. He talks about how he killed some children because he was texting a text message. He says, I love you. And so every day I wake up and I think about that. And every day those children don't wake up. Sometimes you see the one that says, I'll be there in a... The point is, they're messing with the main thing and it messes up everything. And that's what can happen. And what we're talking about in our passage of Scripture today is more important than that. Because if you mess up driving, and I'm not giving you an endorsement that you should drink and drive, I'm not really even here to do a commercial about the other stuff and safety, you can cause major injury, you can lose a life. What we're talking about with salvation, it impacts this life, but also the life to come. And so what's the main thing that's being messed with? Well, when they come in here and they start saying, you have to do these things if you're going to be saved. By saved, they mean rescued from your sin, taken out of the way that you're headed on your natural way and brought into relationship with God. You have to, and they say circumcision, they say keeping the law. What they're messing with is the gospel. That's the main thing. It's the gospel of grace. The Apostle Paul, who's the one that's engaged in this argument here, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talks about the gospel, lays it out very clearly for us. And so I want to read that to you today to make sure we're all on the same page of what I mean when I talk about gospel. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. Verse 2. By this gospel you are saved. Rescued out of your sin. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, if it wasn't just some emotional experience, if this is genuinely, you, you placed your faith, your trust in this. Otherwise, you believed in vain. You wasted your time. Verse 3, For what I've received, I passed on to you as the main thing, as of first importance. And here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the main thing. By grace, God did this thing for you. You didn't deserve. You didn't do anything to earn it because he loved you. He sent his son to die for your sins. Not for his own sins, for your sins. And he rose from the dead and he offers you life. And if you doubt the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great passage for skeptics. You go there, he talks about there's over 500 eyewitnesses and he starts to document and you can historically check out these things could be verified. Did these, did these experiences happen? You're not there. You weren't there when George Washington was president either, but we believe those things. And so he talks about the gospel. That's central. People are messing with the gospel. Verse 1, Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch we're teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're adding to the gospel. And what they're trying to do really as Jewish believers, these are believers, brothers, they're trying to make the gospel more palatable. They're trying to make it more easy to digest, acceptable amongst the community. Really what they would do is they'd be removing the power of the gospel, though. They'd be making it another sect of Judaism. Circumcision has always been important to them. There are different beliefs about circumcision. It was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign that you are a child of Abraham. So can you imagine if you're a Jew, your whole life, you're taught that if you're really a follower of God, that you've been circumcised as a male, symbolism being that we're cutting away uh, the sinfulness in your life. It was essentially what it was. It was the part of the male anatomy that symbolized sin the most and not because of things uh, that you oftentimes might think of, because it carried the seed a depraved seed. And it was a sign of a need for deep cleansing. And so these people are saying, you need to be cleansed. Your heart needs to be cleansed. And so, therefore, you have to be circumcised if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a real person of God, a child of God. It makes sense to them. Culturally, theologically, they didn't just make this up. Genesis chapter 17, they got Bible verses they can put on it. 
And what they're doing, though, is they're removing the scandal of the gospel. They're trying to make it more palatable, especially for Jewish believers. And we do the same thing. We don't argue about circumcision today, so this seems culturally removed from us and hard to connect with. Think about all the things we do based on the thoughts of our day. All the ways the gospel gets compromised. Go to a scientific community and you will find people that are pastoring churches or leading seminaries or various different things that will talk about how, well, the miracles, we'll just kind of explain those away because we're talking to scientific people and they want to be able to prove stuff and it has to be able to be naturally proven. And so you'll, and I read this stuff every week when I read about a miracle, I'll find some commentator, a liberal guy, that will explain, Jesus didn't walk on water, there was like a sandbar next to the boat so it looked like he was walking on water. And Jesus didn't really feed 5,000 people. This boy came, he shared his meal, and it was a good example. So everybody else started to share their food. And it was like he kind of multiplied food, but really it was just through example. And people explain away miracles. Listen, if the gospel is that he raised from the dead, if you can believe that he raised from the dead, that food stuff, that's not a big deal. That's the main thing. But you start messing with the main thing, you mess up everything else. You start taking that stuff away. Think about uh, sin. You know, there's, a, there's a move, you go through the different time, stages of churches. The churches are always guilty of some trying to compromise and make the gospel more palatable. There was a stage where no one wanted to talk about sin. This is more recent, by the way. And uh, they would talk about you made a mistake. But you can have forgiveness, hope, love, joy, peace. We'll talk about all those things, benefits of the gospel, all true things. They just don't give the whole story. They don't talk about sin. And guess what? Then what do you need to be saved from? What are you being rescued out of? You're taking the power away from the gospel. You must the main thing. You must have everything. Here's the thing today. Pluralism. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. I believe in Jesus, and that is what works for me. And then you might believe in some other God that you call a different name, but it's really essentially the same thing. And so, and we all just, just love people and love him, and then, then we're all good. And some of you might believe that. Guess what? You're messed up. If you believe that, you've messed up the main thing. You don't believe the gospel. I hope you're not deceived into thinking that you and God are okay. Here's the, think about it like this. If you believe that, so you believe in the God that sent Jesus, though? So there were other ways? How cruel does he have to be to send his own son to die? And there were other options. Why do you think he prays in the garden if there's any other way? And then he says, I am the way. There's not another way. So we try to make the gospel a scandalous. And that's what they're trying to do here with this circumcision talk. Well, yeah, they're Christians, but... They also need to be circumcised. And what they're doing is they're adding to the gospel. And that makes Paul and Barnabas hot. Now listen, Paul's a Pharisee. Don't forget that as we read this passage of Scripture. But look at how he responds. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. Interesting descriptive word there. And debate with them. And so what happened is, they're preaching the good news. You're saved by grace through faith. You're rescued from your sin. You, you, there's only one way. This is how it happens, through faith, not through anything else. And some guys come in and go, oh, but there's some other things. If you're really a Christian, here's what it really looks like. got to be circumcised. This is a sharp dispute. Paul doesn't say, well, let them present their case, and we'll see what people decide. they got to make their own decisions, and well, I beg to differ with you, but we'll let you proceed. He says, No! Sharp dispute. Shut up. That's wrong. Cut it out. And they don't go, okay, you're good, Paul. The next word says, and debate. So they came back. No, Genesis chapter 17. It's always been this way. Paul, you know this. Why are you leading these people astray? Back and forth, there's a hot fight that takes place here. This is a bigger deal than one local church. Look what happens next. It says, so Paul and Barnabas, they were appointed along with some other believers. Why do they send these other believers? They don't trust Paul and Barnabas? for their protection. You're going to travel 250 miles to Jerusalem. It's going to take you about a month. And when you get there, we don't want somebody saying, that's not how it happened. 
And so we send these other believers, and they go to these other towns, Samaria and Phoenicia, and, and they talk about what's, what's been happening. These people are all excited. And then verse 4 uh, says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the whole church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. This is such a big deal because somebody's adding to the gospel. When you add to the gospel, guess what? It's no longer the gospel. You think about different things. A lot of times we think about when you add something, you're making it better. Like, I don't know if any of you cook. If you cook, you might try something. Oh, it needs a little bit more salt. It needs some allspice. You know, throw something in there. Make it a little bit better. I saw an article the other day. I was uh, being passed around on Facebook. Some of you maybe saw it. Our shepherding pastor sent it to me, and it was about um, natural flavoring, additives, things like that that are in food. You ever read that stuff? That'll make you never want to eat again, by the way. What happened to me is I, I got this article from him, and then I went on like a, a Google trail. I don't know if you ever do this on YouTube or Google or whatever. You see something, and it's like, oh, man, we want to know about this, and what about this? And I started reading different articles about food, and uh, we eat some weird stuff. I knew that I'd eaten weird stuff, but I figured it was from traveling, like going, and you try something intentionally, try to, you know, ethnic cuisine of some sort. Uh, I didn't know that some of the weirdest stuff I've ever eaten was right here in Briar Creek. <laughs> uh, one of the things I read was an article about additives and, and, and flavoring and things like that. And they named names. And they said certain um, fast food places use human hair in their food to make it last longer, shelf life, that it'll, it'll stick around longer. They don't actually lay hair on top of burgers. They take a chemical out of the hair, and they get that hair from uh, barbershops, usually in China. And they named Dunkin' Donuts, Burger King, McDonald's. And, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, so that means that a Big Mac is Chinese food. No, I, no, I see why. You just want to keep eating more of it. So that, what happens there? Right? And one of the things they talked about, and I think we all know that McDonald's, you've seen Super Size Me or heard about this, everybody knows that McDonald's is bad for you. However, we've all eaten it, right? There might be like one or two people who've never eaten it, but chicken nuggets. They said that chicken nuggets, only 50% of the nugget is actually chicken. The other 50% is synthetic material. One of the main materials is what they use to make silly putty. To create another image in my mind, I don't think that any of us have cruised through the drive-thru today at the end. I'll take uh, 20 pieces of silly putty, Rub that and some barbecue sauce and I'll be good. You know, bring that in. Like, that's not, it's not food anymore. See, something happens where at some point, if you add enough stuff to food, it's no longer food. And that is true of the gospel. When you add to the gospel anything, it's no longer the gospel. Prosperity gospel, social gospel, justice gospel, not gospel. You're adding things, works gospel, not gospel. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead and he gives you life. Now that changes everything else. But that's the gospel and that's the main thing and that's what's being messed with and that's why they would travel a month and have this hot fight with these guys and they come to this place and when they get there, they realize this problem's spreading. Notice there are other people that are saying the same thing. They give this report to Jerusalem and to this church and it says, then some of the believers, believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised. So we had that in verse 1. Now we got it again in verse 5. And obey the law of Moses. This is a necessity. They must do this. Why are they doing this? Why are they adding to the gospel? We know why some of us do it. We want to make it more palatable. We want to make it more acceptable. You could argue that the Jews here are doing it because their, their conscience, they're convicted that this is true. They've got Bible verses to go with it. It's been their culture. It's the way they've been brought up. But essentially what they're saying here is, if they're really going to be Christians, they got to be like us. <laughs> and I don't want this hurt too hard, but uh, don't we all do that? Have you ever done this? And I'll confess to you, I have. 
you meet somebody, you're getting to know them, you find out they're a Christian, which is cool. If you're a Christian, you're like, you kind of resonate, your spirits connect in that, and so you're excited for them. And then maybe you ask them the question, where do you go to church? And they tell you where they go to church, and it's not like yours. And so you go, oh, in your spirit. You don't say that out loud. That's what I do. I haven't said, I've not been guilty yet, I don't think, of saying, oh, like you go there. Hmm. But don't you think to yourself, well, that, I mean, in that denomination, then you might be a Christian, but it's like, you're just barely, like you're kind of just barely a Christian. Or if you, you do it that, you guys do this style and this kind of thing, and that's what they do. And, and so, like maybe you're in the kingdom, but like you're never going to grow. Like you're just going to be, you're just, I'm so much better than you, is what you're thinking. You don't say those words. Isn't that what it is? Or, you know, they don't drink the beverages you drink. Or, you know, they smoke something you don't smoke. Or they wear clothes you don't wear. Listen, that, we don't talk about wearing clothes in the Bible, by the way. Like, did you ever been in an Easter play? They wear bath, bathrobes all the time. Okay? But we're like, well, you have to dress like me. You know, Christians wear khakis or whatever it is that you think. Of. That's, not, that's not in there. We make that stuff up. This is natural what they're doing. So we naturally do. We naturally gravitate towards what's comfortable to us. We naturally gravitate that we, of course, are the ones doing it the right way with stuff that's not about right and wrong. We naturally think that we have it down. That's called pride. That's the real scandal of the gospel, is that it attacks our pride. In order for you to genuinely come to Jesus Christ, you have to humble yourself and acknowledge you have a need. Here's the reality. Most people, and I'm not saying Christians, because I don't know if they're Christians or not, most people think that Jesus helped them get the rest of the way home. Most of us act like, if you heard somebody share their story, here's how you can identify it. Somebody will tell their story, and they get to the part of, you know, how was a sinner? Well, I never did this. I never killed anybody. Well, let me tell you something. There are people in our church who have, so they needed God more than you. I never did, and fill in the blank with this sin. I bet you we know somebody who's done that. So you were like partway there, and Jesus pushed you over the hump. Isn't that really what we're saying? I don't care if you're six or if you're 60 or what things you've done and haven't done. Guess what? You bring nothing to the table. In fact, it's negative what you're bringing to the table. It's called filthy rags. It's called sin. Even your good stuff that you're trying to do is ultimately for self-glory, which is robbing God. That's sin. So guess what? You got nothing. So you need grace. And that's what's being messed with in this passage, and that's why Paul's so upset. You need grace. And most of us, we don't understand grace because there's nothing like it in this world. It's free. You do nothing to get it. In fact, you counter-deserve it. You don't, as, as negatives as I can pile on top of each other deserve it, you, that's where you're at. But you think about things that we get for free in society, so I can't really give you an analogy. Think of everything that's free. You've ever received something free? Was it really free? It's not free. I signed up the other day for, to win a free vacation or a car at Walmart. I was there with my daughter. I was like, yeah, I'll fill this thing out and see what happens. They call me up. I, won. I didn't win the car, but I won the vacation as long as I listen to their 90-minute spiel. Which is great, three days, two nights, but it costs me 90 minutes of my life. It's not free. Or if you, you know, scratch off some ticket and you won a million dollars, turn some bottle cap and you've won free property in Arizona, whatever the thing is. You bought something to get it. It's not free. It's not really free. Grace is free. You didn't do anything to get it. It's being given to you. And that means you can't do anything to lose it either. It's being given to you. See, it affects everything else. It's the main thing. You mess the main thing, you mess up everything. And there's no analogy I can give you to teach you grace because nothing else parallels. All the analogies break down. And so we try to teach it to our kids because it's what God's done for us. And 
I'll tell you, the, the best time to teach grace to our kids, we found, is when they misbehave. Unfortunately, we have lots of opportunities to teach these things to our kids. And the other day, one of our kids did what we consider the worst thing you can possibly do at our house. You misbehave, and that just happens. Like, we all do. We all mess up, right? And there's consequences for that, and there'll be discipline for that. But if you misbehave and then you lie about it, that's the worst thing you can do at our house. And so you go from major, you know, normal consequences to you know, discipline. You go to, like, I wouldn't say wrath, but it's not good for you if you're the one that lies. This affects relationship and impacts so many things. That's why it's so important. So one of our daughters did this. She, she messed up, and then she lied about it, and she lied about lying about it. And so we, we got, it, got mess, it got not cool at our house, okay? And it doesn't matter, all the, it doesn't matter who it was. If you work in Bridge Kids, don't try to figure it out. But it, it, here's the deal. It, it's, she, she messed up, and she lied about messing up, and I knew that. And then we caught her in the lie, and then, so the whole thing goes on, and she gets disciplined, and there are consequences, and there are privileges removed. It wasn't a fun night at our house. We'll just say that. It's bedtime. We've talked about this. We've prayed about this. We've explained here's why it is that this is so important. And do you see when you do this? And I don't know if I can believe when you say these things. We've had that whole talk. And we're, it should be all done. But she's still crying, laying in bed. And so I remember I just grabbed her face and I said, Honey, do you know that I love you no matter how naughty you are? I love you no matter what you do. You can't do anything to make me not love you. You know what she said back to me? She said, Daddy, you're so nice. Do you remember like a couple minutes ago? That, would, that didn't seem nice to me. From a little kid perspective, I, didn't see, I don't try to be mean, but there were consequences. And it was, she was saying this, I just saw grace. So here's the thing, you don't earn love. And some of you might not know that. Maybe you've never experienced that. You think love's based on your performance. We naturally do. But you didn't do anything to make God love you. You can't do anything to make him not love you. God loves every person he's ever created. God loves you, and it's not because of you. It's because he's decided to love you. You can't do anything to make him not love you. It's grace. He's given you a free gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to give it back. My daughter didn't do anything to become my daughter. She was a gift to me. She can't do anything to not be my daughter. I will always love her regardless of what decisions she makes and where she ends up. She's my daughter. That's grace. That's what God gives us. That's what he's offered us. And when you start adding stuff to it, now you've messed with it. And let me tell you something, that messes everything else up. Apostle Paul writes another book. Uh, he's part of this dispute here that happens in Acts chapter 15. He writes a book called Galatians. In the book of Galatians, the whole thing is basically about what happens here in Acts chapter 15. People are coming in, they're adding to the gospel, the good news, and it's messing up. It's a plague that's messing up the churches. In Galatians, he says this. In Galatians chapter 3, Verse 1, see how this impacts everything else. You foolish Galatians. Got their attention probably. Who's bewitched you, tricked you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I've shared the gospel with you. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. And he asked them some rhetorical questions. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? No. Or by believing what you heard? Yes. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Call me a fool again. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? How many of us do that? How did you come to faith in Christ? Oh, I placed my faith in Jesus. I believe, and he did the work. And how are you growing in your faith? Well, I do these things, and here's my steps, and self-discipline, and self-determination, and we try to... So it's all on you now. Are you so foolish? Who's tricked you? Who said this was true? So if you don't understand grace from the beginning, 
It messes everything else up. When you mess with the main thing, you mess up everything. And what so many Christians believe is that somehow they brought something to the table when they were saved. Not as bad as somebody else. It's because you walked an aisle, because you did this thing. It was No, it was a gift. It was faith, and even faith was a gift of grace to you. You would have never even believed, apart from God working in your heart, stirring in your heart to draw you to himself. It's grace. You began by grace. Guess what? You continue by grace. You began by faith. You continue by faith. Living the Christian life is the same as the way you began the Christian life. You don't start by your works. And if you do, guess what? If it was something you did to get saved, you have to do something to stay saved. If it was something you did to get into the kingdom with God, if you're ever going to grow in the kingdom, then you have a lot of work that you need to be doing. It's all on you. But if you came in dependence, then guess what? Growth happens through dependence. If you came by faith, growth happens through faith. If you came by grace, it's not what you're doing. It's what God's doing in you and desires to do through you as you surrender your life to him. That's the gospel. And that's how you live it out and it impacts everything else. When you mess with the main thing, you mess up everything. And these guys knew this and that's why they're having this dispute. And so Paul and Barnabas come and these other guys say, you need to be like us and here's what needs to happen. And this happened in front of the whole church. The whole church greeted them. Back in verse 4, verse 5, these Pharisees come. Then in verse 6, the leaders go and they're going to decide this. They're going to make a decision. It's going to impact not only the church in Jerusalem, not only the church in Antioch, but our church and every church that's ever existed since. And it's not the whole church. They don't vote on this. But think about who these guys are. The apostles and the elders, they met to consider this question. This is, these are guys like James, brother, half-brother Jesus. These are guys like Peter, guys like John, guys like Paul, guys like Barnabas. You've got highly educated people. You've got very passionate people. And you'd think they went behind closed doors and everything was just kind of sealed up, a real short meeting. No, that's not what happened. Verse 7, after much discussion. So you can only imagine some of the debate that took place and the conversations that happened there. After much discussion, then Peter stands up and Peter addresses them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you. And this is one of the things that God used to bring them to consensus. And so while they didn't all agree about this, they had different backgrounds, different trainings, all this stuff. They come in, they argue, they fight through this, but they've got one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, and that brings unity. And here's what Peter said. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice. God's already decided then. He made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And you can study this on your own. He's referring to a time back in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, about 10 years before this situation. And what he's saying here is essentially this. God's already decided this. Are you going to get on board with what God's doing or are you going to do your own thing? Here's how it happened. The gospel's supposed to go to Gentiles. He was going to preach it through my lips, Peter says. It says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit. Not because of circumcision, not because of the law, just as he did to us. Same way he gave it to us. Interesting that Peter's the one that's preaching this here to these guys. Peter's the one who preached that started the church in Jerusalem to the Jews. Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit came on them. They began to speak in languages they had never been trained to speak before. Then he's the, also, isn't it strategic of God? It's like he thought this out ahead of time. Acts chapter 10 and 11, he's the one who preaches to the Gentiles. Then God does the same thing. He said in verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts, not their flesh. He purified their hearts by faith. Because they trusted Christ. Not because they were circumcised. Not because they wore certain clothes. Not because they did the things you want them to do. Not because they showed up at this time, at this type of service. It's by faith. Verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God? That's bad. Don't do that, by the way. 
won't spend a lot of time on that. But remember Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan, he says, you know, you shall not test the Lord your God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you don't do that. You're, you're testing his patience. You're inviting his judgment. Usually we think of that when we see how much we can get away with. Here what they're doing is they're adding to what he's already done. Interesting. So we need to be really careful about what we say when we don't know what we're talking about. Don't test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke, interesting language, that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. You couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Now you're trying to tell these new believers they have to do it. You already know it doesn't work. No, emphatically, verse 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Don't put a yoke on people that was never meant to be there. The yoke is uh, something you'd put on an animal that would restrict their movement. He's saying, don't do this to new believers. These baby Christians, that you're going to convince them this is true. They're going to start believing this is true. It's not the gospel. It's going to mess up everything. And Jesus already came and preached to people that were trying to live this way. Matthew chapter 11, what does he say? Verse 28, 29, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Do you ever try to figure out spirituality on your own? We all have. You do it long enough. Whether you're a Christian or you haven't become a Christian yet, you try to do this thing in your own flesh, with your own determination, your own discipline, eventually it's too much. You become weary and burdened. And Jesus says, you come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your soul. And then he says an interesting statement, verse 29. He says, take my yoke. Wait, so Jesus has a yoke? Yeah, he says some stuff the Pharisees couldn't even handle. Uh, if you look at a woman lustfully, that's adultery. If you hate someone, that's murder. So you want to come follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Ah, uh, I can't do that. That's right. You need me to do it through you, and I'm going to give you the spirit to be able to do it, and here's what's going to happen. My, my commands aren't going to be burdensome to you. First John says this. You can look it up. He says, because it's done out of love. It's not about religion. See, when you're doing it because you're trying to please God and make him happy, guess what? You are toast. When you're doing it in a love relationship with him, he gives you guidelines and rules. You know why? Because they're best for the relationship, and they're best for you. And when it's done out of love, it's not burdensome. So you take my yoke on you. I've got a different yoke for you than what these guys are talking about. And I'm going to give you the spirit to be able to accomplish it. And it happens all by grace. Interesting to me that Peter's the one preaching this. It's like God planned it out. And Peter's the one that's sharing here. Because if anybody knows grace, it's Peter. Think about Peter. He talks about testing God here. Testing God be hindering God's work, trying to get in the way of what he's doing, doing something other than what he's doing. Remember when Jesus first said to Peter, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to go, the elders are going to turn over and they're going to kill me. No, 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 Jesus, not you. Get behind me. Who? Peter's messed up before. Remember Peter, I can identify with Peter. He says stupid stuff all the time. Okay? Who knows? I'm sorry if I've said stupid things to you. Sometimes his mouth gets in front of his mind and this stuff just comes out. And so Sometimes his flesh, he starts getting ahead of God and starts doing stuff. And he knows what it is to fail. Peter. Peter's the guy that even after uh, Jesus is telling him, after he fails and blows it, Jesus is telling him, here's what's going to happen in your life, Peter. What does Peter do? Hey, what about that guy? John chapter 21, they're walking along the shore. John's walking behind him. Jesus is telling him, here, this is going to happen. You're going to get older and they're going to martyr you. What about him? Peter knows what it's like to live in the flesh. Remember Peter trusting in himself? Listen, I don't care what everybody else does. I am in like Flynn. Like, I am down till it's all done. Like, I am there, even, if the, even to the death, I'm with you. I don't care what these rats do. I am with you, Jesus. Some little girl comes up to him. Were you with? I don't know what you're talking about. And he denies Jesus and weeps bitterly. But then Jesus, when he's restoring him, says to Peter, Do you love me? 
and he does. Like David, who blows it, but he's a man after God's own heart, he, he, he really does love him. It's interesting what Peter says. He says, you know all things. You know all my mistakes. You know all the stupid stuff I've done. You know when I've tried zealously for you and had good intention, but it wasn't right. And you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, I'm going to use you. You go feed my sheep. Because here's a guy who doesn't just know about grace from reading it in a book, because you can't learn about it that way. He knows it because he's experienced grace. Have you? If you have, how can anything else ever be the main thing? What's the main thing for you? And for some of you, if you're honest with yourself, it's not Jesus. It's not the gospel. It's not God. You might think, I wish that were the answer, but that's not true. Let me tell you something. That's, that means you have something else that's ultimate in your life. That something else is God. You're placing your hope in that you're trusting in, that you think it's going to bring something. And I don't know when it will take for you to figure it out. Hopefully right now, it won't. It won't satisfy you. And so what you need to do is turn from trusting in that to turn to trusting in Jesus Christ and his death for you, that he gave his life for you because he loves you. And it wasn't even because of anything about you. He just decided to love you. And so he wants a relationship with you and so you have to place your faith in him and you can do that. I'll give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. Some of you are believers in Jesus and you know this information to be true, but that's not how you're living your life. If I asked you, do you believe in salvation by grace through faith? You'd sign off on the doctrinal statement. You'd say yes, but pragmatically, practically, the way you live your life is opposite of that. You live by the flesh and you might not argue about circumcision and you might not argue about the law and rituals and ceremonies, but you think it's on you being good enough. Can I just ask you this question? How good is good enough? It's perfect, by the way. That's what God says in his word. And you will never be that. So guess what that means? You've got to live by grace. Through faith. I hope that you'll have faith. I can't give you faith. I can't make you have faith. But we have faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. That he died for you. That he rose from the dead. And he's offering you life. And if you do as a believer, if you believe that, then shouldn't the rest of the stuff be easy to have faith in? And so we walk by faith. I hope you'll walk by faith. Let me pray for us. Let's bow our heads and bow our eyes. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your spirit would just fill this place, that you would speak to hearts and minds, and you know all the different things that are happening and all the different hearts, and you know the believers' hearts, you know the people that have yet to place their faith in you. I pray specifically for those who need a relationship with you right now. And maybe you come today as a skeptic. Maybe you come here as someone who's checking this stuff out. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you've been religious through your life and you're checking church back out. Here's the deal. Here's what you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's how it happens. He becomes the main thing. The Bible calls him Lord. You use whatever vernacular you like, that he is central, that he is ultimate, that he's the main thing. And you place all of your trust in what he's done for you to have a relationship with God, not what you do for God. And if you want to do that right now, you can do that. And I want to pray some words here. It's not the words are magical, but if in your heart you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, then will you pray this with me? Father God, I come before you. Just in your heart right now, you can even just say these things. I acknowledge my sin before you. I need you. I need your grace. I believe your son Jesus died for my sins and offers me life through his resurrection. And I want to accept that life today. I place my trust in you. God, I ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And if you just did that, that is the most important decision you could ever make in your life. I want to pray for you. We've got people that want to pray for you. If you would check on your connection card before you leave that today you trusted Jesus, take that card out to the response table. When you walk out the doors in Theater 9, it's on your left. When you walk out the doors in Theater 14, it'll be on your right. 
and just give that card to someone. We're going to give you a Bible, and then we're going to be praying for you. Uh, from you know Today, we'll pray this week for you. And if we can help you with anything, we want to do that. And Father, I pray for those that are already believers in you, but like the believers in this passage, we look at this passage as believers that are ones that are teaching this stuff, that we start thinking it depends on us. God, we want to come back to you, depend on you, and cling to the cross. We've decided to follow your son, Jesus Christ, with the cross before us, the world behind us, and all the other things that we're told, God, that are lies, that we want to focus on you and what's true. Will you transform us and have us walk by faith in such a way that it's contagious to those we come into contact with, whether that costs us our lives? or whether that cost us some time, or whether it cost us some money, or whether it's just all by your grace. How will you do what you desire to do in each one of our lives, and don't have us test you, don't let us make up stuff that's not true about you, but to live according to grace and live according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.